Welcome to the prolific teaching ministry of Pastor Emmanuel Iren, lead pastor of Celebration Church International. It is his vision to partner with you for your progress and joy in the faith. Ready, set, grow. And live. Can you say look and live? I said as I was preaching on Wednesday, there are different types of people, especially as it pertains to how they grow into adulthood. There are some people who just enter adulthood by the natural order of things, and there are some people who are forced into it by unfortunate circumstances. Maybe, um, like I, I was talking to someone days ago, he said he lost both parents at the age of 14. So, I mean, he had to hustle. He had siblings. He was the first in his family. And he began to work very hard, determined, you know, to take care of his younger ones. Paid for his fees and all of that. Started a business and all of that. I said that to say this. The body of Christ, in this country especially, will be forced into adulthood. Because the picture of the body, the prophetic picture of the body of Christ right now is a picture of a 20-year-old still latching onto his mother's breasts. And we don't even see that there's a transition taking place. You know, you're, you're a child forever when you don't realize that your parents will not be here forever. And when you look at the body of Christ in this country, whether you like it or yes, in the t- next 10 years, many fathers would either be with the Lord or will take a back seat from active ministry just by the natural order of things. We don't have a choice. And we have not taken transition seriously. We've not begun to talk about secession. You, you know, you hear phrases like 90s kids. I mean, in just normal social circles. And years ago, 90s kids referred to a bunch of young people. But now, 90s kids have kids. So, I'm just saying that as an example for you to realize that age just catches up with you if you're not intentional. And now we have to ask ourselves questions. Is our generation ready? Because the baton is going to be passed like a relay race. We have to be ready. We don't have a choice. And so we have to start Asking ourselves questions about responsibility, especially to the gospel's message. Our fathers have done so much. What are we going to do in our day? How much are we willing to sacrifice? What do we know? Can we confront the devil as they confronted the devil? We don't have a choice. Nobody will do it for us. Are we as responsible to the gospel spread as they were? Have we taken up the cultures? That must be preserved. The culture of prayer. The culture of the integrity of the word and faith in it. And those are conversations we are trying to have in this month, you know, of orthodoxy. By the way, I like this design team, what they did, you know, this stained glass. Because the theme of the month, this month in Celebration Church is vintage Jesus. He said, I am the same yesterday, today, and forever. Hallelujah. And so we have an assurance in God that if we do what our fathers did, we will see what they saw. And you know what's better? It is every responsible father's prayer 
that his children do better. Amen? And because, so, so it is their prayer that we don't make the mistakes that they made. We are not actually trying to replicate what they did. We're trying to do better. And all to the glory of God. If you're ready, say we are ready. And so we have to have conversations on orthodoxy, on discernment, on the integrity of the word as we prepare for our generation. Turn your Bibles, John chapter 16, verse 7. We read this text, we pray one more time, and then we go on. John chapter 16, verse 7, one of the most resounding verses in the entire scripture. John 16, verse 7, it says, Jesus speaking, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. And if I do not go away, the helper will not come. But if I depart, I will send him to you. Let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you. We are receptive to your word. And as we go into your word right now, speak to our hearts. Take away the distractions. Prepare us to do and to be all that you have destined for us to do and to be in this generation. In Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Now, this text is such a resounding text and it's a bubble buster. How many of you have ever fantasized being a I mean, disciple of Jesus? Not as you are now, but in this earthly ministry. What would it have been like? Being one of the 12, you know, seeing him in the incarnation. Maybe you don't understand. God became a man, dwelt amongst us, walked in this earth. Isn't that fascinating? And you wonder, what, did, what would it have been like? I mean, to stay with Jesus, move around with Jesus, see him sleep, see him wake up, have the honor and the privilege to eat with him, to watch all his sermons. Hear all his wisdom. See him heal the sick. See him cast out devils. You know, he's just going to be like, sometimes, he's just like, what would it have been like? It would have been nice. And some of you are still there right now. You're just like, ah, oh, God, if only I had that privilege. But God says this to the people who saw the incarnate son of God. He said, it is to your advantage that I go. What many people psychologically crave for, he said, is not advantageous to them. It's to your advantage that I go. He says, because if I do not go, the comforter will not come. This Holy Spirit must be so important. May not be so spectacular, you might not have seen him physically. You might not even have seen a dove. Or any so-called representation that just gives you an inclination of his presence. But he's in you by faith. And Jesus says, the presence of God that you have in your heart is more important and more advantageous to you than if you saw Jesus physically in the incarnation. Do you believe that? I mean, think about that again. Let me take that again. Jesus said, what you have right now is better and more advantageous than what the disciples had then. Oh my goodness. Now, if you believe this, it changes your worldview. It changes your perspective. It changes your life. That this Holy Spirit that I have 
serves me more in ministry and in life and in Christian devotion than walking around with the incarnate Son of God. Think about that. I know you said yes, sir, but I want you to think, I want you to sink. You see, what you have to realize is that knowing God doesn't necessarily obey all the laws of social science. God is a spirit. And the way you get to know your spouse, the way you get to know people is different from the way you get to know God. And when it comes to getting to know people, you just think, oh, if I would just spend time with him, if I would just spend time with her, I would get to know him or her. But with God, it's different. The only and the surest way to grow in your intimacy with the Lord is in his word and by his spirit. What did I say? In his what? And by his what? That's the only and the surest way. That if I go, Jesus said, and you have the opportunity to receive my spirit, even if I'm in heaven, you will get to know me better than you do now. And that's exactly what happened. You know, when you look at the Bible and you look at someone like Paul the Apostle, look at all he did for God, all he did for the body of Christ. And then you think about the historical fact that the Apostle Paul never saw Jesus in the incarnation. That means historically, they were never found at the same region at the same time. He never saw Jesus. When he was on earth, never, never. So all he had is all we have. Jesus has been, had been raised, all right? And then he came to believe in him, came to receive his spirit. And by that spirit, arguably, even though I don't like needless comparisons like this, but you can't say that there's any one of the other apostles that knew God better. Am I right? In fact, you can argue that Paul knew God better. And how is, so you now want to ask yourself, what then is the advantage in the incarnation, no, not in the incarnation, but walking with the incarnate son of God? If after three and a half years of ministry, he looks at them and he says, I have much yet more to share with you, but you can't bear there now. How be it? When the spirit of truth is come, he will lead you into all truth. And as someone born in Deuces and Paul comes, receives that same spirit of truth, and he labors as much as the rest, he sacrifices as much as the rest, and guess what? He writes more books. He has more revelation to share. Listen, that changes everything. Because like Jesus said, it is to your advantage that I go. Because if I do not go, the comforter will not come. If you're here with me, let me know. All right. I mean, think about the disciples of Jesus one more time. If walking with Jesus in his incarnate state was all there was to intimacy, it would have made all the difference in the world. But after three and a half years, Jesus was arrested. And what did they do? Do you realize? These people showed more loyalty to Jesus when he went than when he was here. 
breaks all the laws of social science. Isn't it commonly said amongst us, out of sight is usually out, out of mind? But, but, but listen, when he was arrested, they disappeared. I've told you jokingly how that you can't even seize Peter for really denying Jesus. He did better than the rest. He was where he could deny. The rest were nowhere to be found. At least Peter, for curiosity and for care, he was still watching from a distance to see what would become of Jesus. And that's why people spotted him and said, he looks like you're one of them. The rest were MIA, like missing and vanished to your tent, O Israel. <laughs> so Peter, who denied Jesus, was the hero. <laughs> at least he was close enough. He wanted to blend in. He wanted to disguise but at least he was watching. Think about it. I, I, I want to put it to you. Even the religious leaders would have been shocked. Because they anticipated there will, there will be a protest when they arrested Jesus. That's why they sent too many soldiers. Only Peter tried. And he was overzealous, cut the ear, you know, Jesus put it back and all of it. But there was no fight. Arrested him, they all disappeared. They, they must have been amazed. And they must have said to, to themselves, you know what, he's finished. This man, Jesus, his legacy is gone. I mean, if when he's alive, we could arrest him without a fight. Is it when he goes? Forget it is done. But then something happens. The Bible says 120 people were in an upper room. And then they were praying. And suddenly... There was a sound of a mighty rushing wind. They didn't necessarily feel anything, all right? But they heard a sound, a mighty rushing wind filled the room. The sound filled the room. And then the Bible says, all of a sudden, cloven tongues as of fire sat on the head of everyone. They began to pray in unknown tongues. Listen, their lives changed. And then the same Peter, for example, who would not admit that he knew Jesus to a young slave girl, will stand in front of thousands of people, not only declaring that he knows the Lord, but preaching to them to know the Lord and exegeting from the scriptures that this Jesus was the Christ. What had happened? What had changed? The Holy Ghost. The Holy Ghost of promise made all the difference. Gave them the boldness, gave them the conviction. The things they knew in their head, it gave them audacity to say. Do you realize there's a difference? And this is the intimacy we are talking about. Changes everything. How could people who were not willing to die for Jesus when they could see him, be willing to die for Jesus after he had died? I'm telling you, there is a depth of intimacy in God you cannot touch without his word and his spirit. That's what I'm trying to tell you. Thank God for spectacular encounters. And maybe you are praying that one day you fantasized about, you know, you being in your bed and Jesus walking into your room and touching you. Get up. I want to talk to you. You just wake up, you know. Your eyes are, you know, st you're still sleepy. And you see a figure seated on a chair beside your bed. You know, and you open your eyes and it's Jesus. You quickly sit up. It's like, uh, take your note. I want to share something. So you, you know, 
I have those fantasies too. Let me break your book. Spoiler alert. A lot of you will never see that. And it doesn't matter. Did you hear what I said? It doesn't matter. See, most of the people that you admire who had encounters like that, check very well. What really made them successful in ministry was still not that encounter. The encounter added something to what was already there. I'm telling you, what makes anyone do great for God is these foundational principles I'm telling you. The word and the spirit. You're going to get into the word. You stand a better chance recognizing Jesus, looking down into your Bible, than looking up to observe. This is so important. You know, God told John the Baptist, he said, the person on whom you see the spirit of God descend, the spirit descend, that's the person that takes away the sins of the world. So he began to watch. He began to watch. And water baptism was really not about repentance. It had a deeper assignment. It was an opportunity for him to find the person of whom God spoke. And so one day, oh my goodness. Like someone profoundly said, and I've been teaching this for years. The moment he found the Messiah, he never baptized anyone again. So actually, the water baptism was to find the baptizer. Anyway, we'll, we'll, we'll get into that. But anyways, so now Jesus comes and then he dips him in the water and the most remarkable thing happened. God rains open the skies. I've taught you this before. God is always lavish when it comes to confirming his call on any man. If he needs to scream from the sky, if he needs to interrupt shepherds that are minding their business, watching their flocks by night, they just see angels shouting. If you have a call, go ahead, print a flyer, do all those things. But the most important... <laughs> Are you listening to me? The most important proof that you have a call is the call itself. Don't worry. Wise men will trace you to the manger. You don't have to be in the palace for them to find you. Even if you're in the manger, you know, it should have been a lost cause because normally you just check all the hospitals. But you're in the manger and they still find you. Now that's the anointing. But that aside, now the deep Jesus into, the, into that water, John the Baptist dips him and then the sky rains open. The spirit descends like a dove. And then they hear a voice. This is my beloved son. Hear ye him. In whom I'm well pleased. Hear him in the transfiguration. In whom I'm well pleased. It doesn't get clearer than that. And some of you, with those type of manifestations and encounters that you like. Oh, I mean, I'll never doubt again. God tore open the skies. Shouted from heaven. What else do I want? But there are deeper ways to know God. Encounters are not as trustworthy as people think, as great as they are. Because when pressure comes, it is the word that will preserve you, not encounters. Mark my words. And so when John the Baptist was in prison, the same John sent someone to Jesus to say, are you the Messiah or should we keep waiting? See, some of you don't realize how heart-wrenching 
that statement is. It breaks my heart. The statement becomes more heart-wrenching when you know who asked. It is John the Baptist. Don't you understand? John the Baptist's life assignment was to point everyone to the Christ. And he had done so well, so far so good, throughout his life, pointing everyone to the Christ. But now in a moment of offense, you throw away all your past investments. And this is what happens to people when you wonder how someone who flowed in the gifts of the Spirit, you know, did so many great things for God. You're looking at his life now and you're wondering, you are a shadow of yourself. What happened to you? Because guess what? It takes more than encounters to last. It takes conviction in the word. Are you getting what I'm saying? How can you, the foreigner whose duty it was to announce to the world who the Messiah is, be sending someone to ask him, are you the one? I'm telling you, if you want to grow in your intimacy with the Lord, it is in his word. Because he said, John chapter 1 verse 1. I know you know it. But let it resonate with your spirit more than ever before. Listen, what I'm teaching you is discernment 101. It says, in the beginning was the word. And the word was with God. And the word was God. You have to understand that the logos of God is God. That God has chosen not to separate himself from his word. That there is no other to, way to know him intimately but with his word. Oh goodness. Like I said, this is not social science. A man who sits and gazes at the figure of God, we will not cover more distance in intimacy than a man who sits with his Bible and the Spirit. Even if God appeared to you physically and you had time to observe, you will not cover more distance. Are you getting what I'm saying? This will take, understanding what I'm saying, will take moving past the confines of your understanding of social relationships because God is Spirit. To know God, you must know his word. No other way. Say that with me. To know God, I must know his word. And so Jesus challenges people. In John chapter 5 verse 39, he says, search the scriptures. Just search already. You've waited for centuries to find the Messiah. He's standing in front of you and you don't know him. Because guess what? There are no physical attributes that will point you to the Messiah. You can't say, oh, the God who gave everybody a physique, if he wants to come, he will give himself, you know, at least six foot five. That's a very carnal way of, <laughs> of thinking. There was nothing spectacular about his visage. You don't behold his nose as the nostrils of the begotten of God. You see the pointed nose. Ah! He must be the son of God. It don't work like that. He says, search the scriptures. They testify of me. They testify. Just search already. Miracle 
miracles are great, but I don't expect you to conclude wholesomely by miracles alone. Because even when Moses goes to Pharaoh's palace and drops his rod, the other magicians will drop theirs too. And so miracles definitely attest to our claim, but they cannot wholesomely be our testimony. Do you understand what I'm saying? Signs are great, but search the scriptures. Miracles are great, but search the scriptures. They testify of me. I've told you this story a thousand times. I'll tell you a billion times more. So these guys are on their road to Emmaus. And they're talking about what had happened in Jerusalem, you know, past few days. How Jesus had been killed. And all of Jerusalem, especially people who followed the ministry of Jesus, thought he was this great prophet, this political leader who was going to bring them out of, you know, the bondage, the claws of the Roman Empire. And now he's killed. What will happen to fuel prices? What will happen to all these things? You know, they had the political idea of a Messiah. And then Jesus joins himself to them and is asking them, what are you talking about? And they, they begin to talk to Jesus about Jesus. And they're saying, oh, what do you mean what is happening in the town? Have you, are you a stranger? Don't you know what has been happening? They killed Jesus. We thought him to be a great prophet. I don't know who's going to deliver Israel now. And Jesus said to them, oh fools, Luke 24 verse 25, slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. He says, ought not the Christ, verse 26, to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory. And then the Bible says in verse 27, he says, beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded to them in all the scriptures, the things concerning who? Now that's the part that gets to me. Why go through all that stress explaining yourself? You are there. Just tell them, touch me. I'm here. You thought I was dead? I'm alive. You heard some people said they saw me. You didn't believe? Touch me. I'm here. But that's not the divine way to grow in your knowledge of Christ. So even if Christ were present physically, he would still show you himself in the word. And so we started a Bible study for hours. How do I know it's for us? Because of the journey. They were journeying into the town. Historians say it must have lasted about eight miles. It must have been eight mile journey. Walking for hours. And he's explaining. He went through the entire Old Testament. Beginning at Moses. The books written by Moses. The first five books of the Bible. And the prophets. He expounded to them in all the scripture. The things concerning himself. Have you ever bought a gift for someone. Whose birthday is in three weeks time. And you were itching to tell the person, I'm very bad at stuff like that. I will ruin the surprise. I'll just wake up day two. I'll just look at you and I'll be like, hmm. <laughs> if only you knew what I bought for you. <laughs> and I'm just wondering, how was Jesus able to hold himself and say, ah, you know, you're explaining yourself. Literally. <laughs> and you can just say, you know, forget this. It's me. Jesus didn't do that. And that tells you a lot about Jesus. So as he began to explain prophecies about himself, who the Messiah would be, the Bible says their hearts began to burn. And when they went to the room, the inn inside, then they broke bread. This is the encounter that people like. They broke bread, their eyes were open, and then they saw him. But it does say a lot that Jesus wanted them to see him first in the scriptures before they saw him physically. 
And let me give you a prophecy about end times. Before you ever, it is only those who see Jesus in the scripture that will see him on the last day. Did you hear what I said? You must see him first. He said to Thomas, he said, you believe because you see. Blessed are they who have not seen but believe. Any blessed person in the house? So if you have not seen any physical encounter, he said, it's a blessing. You crave as if your, your spiritual experience is not complete. But he said, you are blessed. Did you hear what I just said? That's what he says. And this is so important. Experiences can be mimicked. Experiences can be mimicked. Many false religions were birthed by spectacular encounters, just theatrics of the devil, to pretend to be God. And so they thought they had a true encounter with God. And then that's how many religious cults started. One said he was in the forest, and then a goat started talking. I'm telling you. And here is what the Bible says. Never forget this. When you look at all the false religions in the world, all the Christian cults, all the pseudo-Christian movements, you think of a text like 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 14. 2 Corinthians eleven fourteen, 14. It says, and no wonder, no wonder. It says, for Satan himself transforms himself into an angel of light. See, the movies lied to you. They gave you this picture of someone walking in, in red clothes, conspicuously ugly horns, and everybody from a distance knows that that's the devil. He's coming, he's coming, he's coming, he's coming. Look away, look away. That's the picture that the, that the movies gave you. But hey, let me tell you something from experience as someone who has spent time casting out devils for the past many years. Satan will only reveal himself if he doesn't have a choice. He's a master of these guys. He prefers to be walking without you knowing. He prefers to be walking without you knowing. When, look at demonic possession, for instance. He prefers to be wrecking people's lives and they don't know why. The Bible says how God anointed Jesus with the Holy Ghost and with power who went about doing good and healing all that were what? Oppressed of the devil because now, pay attention to this. Man is falling. Our bodies are frail. People do get sick. But not all sicknesses are, have a natural cause. I'm saying. There's, a, there's someone, you know. X-ray showed hole in mommy's heart. X-ray. But as he told me and I was praying over the phone, I saw something else. I saw an imp-like demon sitting on mommy's shoulder with the very ugly side, sorry. <laughs> Can I go on? <laughs> with the tails wrapped around her neck. And so I said, in the name of Jesus, you foul spirit, I command you to go. And immediately, a woman that had been bedridden for months got up, took a shower by herself, went out. Are you getting what I'm saying? Went for an x-ray, no more hole. How do you explain that? 
So he prefers to be walking and the doctor will give you a long name. Come to something, conjuvitis. And the doctor is doing his job. It's a diagnosis with a spiritual cause. You see that? So the devil will present himself as an angel of light. See, let me just read it to you. So, mind you, the devil will not show himself as the devil. He hardly ever does. Renew your mind with this. He hardly ever does. He will always show all the manifestations of the devil in the scriptures. Okay, look at, at the temptation of Jesus. He, it was as if he once was best for Jesus. Look at all the kingdoms of the world I will give you. How generous, right? <laughs> That's how he operates. As if he wants what's best for you. It's God that does not understand. Did God say you should not eat of every tree? <laughs> Why would he say that? As if he's on your side. Pretend to be an angel of light. Please, are you with me? So, in discernment, it is not white versus black. The devil is almost never in the black. He's in the gray. Did you hear what I just said? Because he's an imposter. Imposter. He's not trying to keep you away from church. He's trying to pervert the image of the church. Keep you in church for years without hearing the truth message of the gospel. 1 Timothy chapter 4 verse 1, as I begin the round of. Time flies when you're having fun. 1 Timothy chapter 4 verse 1, it says, Now the Spirit speaketh expressly. Can you just say this? Say, I hear the Spirit. Because he said he's speaking. He's speaking. So you, you have to heed. Pay attention. Now the Spirit speaketh expressly. The Spirit expressly says that in a lot of times, some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits. KJV says seductive spirits. Greek word planos, P-L-A-N-O-S, means imposter spirits, pretending to be Christ. That's where Antichrist comes from. And doctrines of devils. Here's the thing. Many of the people who will depart will not know they departed. Because the spirit is pretending to be Christ. So they will think that they are listening. To, are you getting this? And that's why your discernment has to be sharper. Because the devil will not, in, will not be in the things that are conspicuously bad. And conspicuously anti-Christ. He'll be in things... Those pseudo-Christian ideas that stand against orthodoxy. And in our generation, we must be intentional. We must learn how to build convictions. Very quickly, how to build convictions. How to build conviction. Very simple principle in the word. 1 Thessalonians 5.21 1 Thessalonians 5.21 Hallelujah. Are you there? Read it together. One, two, go. Read it again. One, two, go. 
It says, test all things. Hold fast what is good. Test all things. This is how to build convictions. Test all things. Hold fast what is good. There are two extremes in the body of Christ. There are people who hold all things and test nothing. And there are people who test all things and hold nothing. It's a problem in the body. Some people hold all things. They don't test anything. They just say, is it not God? Is it not church? And so they go anywhere and anybody speaks over you. Anybody lays hands on you. They give you silly things to drink. And anybody who opens the Bible and appears to be preaching, no matter what he says, you have not been trained to be objective. Like Paul said, you are tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine. Everything blesses you. Everybody has a point. <laughs> and listen, if you tolerate all doctrines, it's not love work. It is immaturity. He says it is a babe who is tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine. It's not love work. Otherwise, Jesus was not working in love. When he says every plant. Are you with me? Your love work is not stronger than Jesus. It's not stronger than Jesus's. It says every plant that my heavenly father has not planted shall be rooted out. Paul says the weapons of our warfare. He said this war. Anything perverting the true message of the gospel, you have to instead. And not carnal, but a mighty true God to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations. Some, instead of teaching the truth of God, what are teaching imaginations? So, you have to start training yourself. If I receive everything, it doesn't make me a loving Christian. You know, some people think that unity of the faith is no matter what you believe. Do you understand? And I can love you in spite of what you believe whilst knowing that what you believe is wrong. And my saying that what you believe is wrong does not mean I don't love you. You have to understand. Separate things. But what Paul talked about, I've taught you this before, is unanimity of the faith. That's what unity of the faith means. That we all come to a point where we all speak the same thing, have the same mind, and are perfectly united in mind and in mouth. I read that to you, right? 1 Corinthians 1.10 and several other texts talk about that. United in mind and mouth. That's God's will for the church. And then there are some people who test all things and hold nothing. Twitter generation. Skeptical about everything, but they have no conviction. Like someone described... His words, not mine. The theology of an average American preacher, uh, average American Christian, I beg your pardon. He says, your theology is 10 kilometers wide and half an inch thick. You know everything. You know all the Greek words. No conviction. No passion. You have it in the mission statement of your church that you evangelize, but you don't. You have it in the mission statement of your church or in the website of your church. Statement of faith of your church that you believe in miracles, but you don't see any miracles and you don't do anything about that. Some people, you know, and that's why many people in the previous generation who you think you know more than will still have more results. Because when it all comes down to it, it's not the truth you know that transforms you, but the truth that you are convinced about, the conviction that you have. 
All right? So you might criticize the way many of them pray, but you can never accuse them of not having power. So when they are praying, you might be rationalizing all they are saying from the lenses of the epistles. But when they are done, the sick will be healed. And listen, it is not our problem. See, I'm not trying to get you to choose which extreme is better. All right? I'm trying to get you. As a generation, a new generation, to run after God's word. We test all things, hold on to what is true. Hallelujah. Say we may test all things, hold on to what is true. So we are going to be very circumspect. How we listen, what we listen to, we will test all things. Then what we find to be true, we will hold it there all our lives. Like John said, he said, I write unto you fathers, because you have known whom, him from the beginning. Do you understand? So that means to be a father does not mean to have gray hair. It simply means to, by reason of use, come to a point of mastery. Are you getting what I'm saying? So a young person can be a father. You can come to a point where you have built your convictions on some certain areas. And you have a legacy to hand over to your children. Like I said when we prayed before we started. I said the children, our children. I said our children will meet the body of Christ better than we met it. Say loud amen. I fantasized about my first daughter coming home one day. To say, daddy, you, you won't believe what I heard. <laughs> I said, try. He said, you won't believe it. Someone was preaching salvation by works. I'll be like, <laughs> because we would have dealt with some doctrines. It would be very strange. We will have to open history books to show our children. Hallelujah. We'll have to open history books. Like Jesus said, every plant that our heavenly father has not planted shall be what? What you cut can grow again, not what you root out. We will establish the truth in our day. Hallelujah. Establish the truth in our day. And all the virtues, all the great stuff that we can learn, we will also glean with humility. We will recognize that even an ally who had been caught in a scandal, his children were extorting money from the church. He still has experience that Samuel can glean from. And so Samuel heard a voice, Eli did not hear. But his experience was even more proficient than what he was hearing. The young, do you understand what I'm saying? He said, go back, lie down again. If you hear the voice, say, speak Lord. How did he know it's the Lord? Experience. And that's, that's what many young ministers are missing. Hallelujah. Someone may be ignorant about 99 things, but know the one thing you so desperately need. Hallelujah. We do better in our time. The baton has been stretched. What will you do with the message of, God, of the gospel? Thank you for listening. We are sure that you have been blessed. For inquiries, reach us on our helpline 
996-7000. Blessings.